Well, good morning. Uh, everybody all right? All right, let's get into God's Word. We're going to have it up on the screens, but I want you to grab out your handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part 65 of our Being Jesus series and I entitled today's message, It's Not What It Looks Like. And I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God. All right, so last week we found out that, that when Jesus comes on the scene, he starts saying the kingdom of God is like this and you go, what do you mean? I mean, the kingdom of God has been around the whole time we've been around. So what do you mean the kingdom of God is like this? And what he means is that God was doing something new and fresh and he was launching it. And he said, I want to tell y'all that I know you see it like this, but we're making a shift like this. And this is what God wants and how he wants it. And if you want to join in on what God's doing, if you want to be connected to him, if you want his blessings to flow, if you want you to be in his will, then this is what's required. So the first time, and, and inside that kingdom of God, obviously, is things like salvation and eternal life. But, but it's more than that. It's living a vibrant Christian life. So last week when we talked... We were talking about the fact that everybody needs an invitation. You can't get in unless you have an invitation. And there's a way to be in and there's a way not to be in. But now Jesus takes it a step further and he says, I want you to know that in this whole process, it's confusing. I know it's confusing. You know it's confusing. So I want to call that out as it is so that you don't go, man, am I missing something? Why is this hard for me to wrap my head around? He's like, well, because it's difficult. It's complicated. And, and really the reason why it's complicated is it doesn't look like you think it should look. Let me give you an example. When you look out in the world, does it look like Jesus has been on the throne for 2,000 years? You know what I'm saying? Isn't that kind of where, where you're always asking questions like, dang, I don't even know who's saved, who's not saved, what group is doing what, are these the good guys or are these the bad guys? And, and, and why is it that the church, you know, it, it's full of Christians, but they're all, they're all screwed up and that you got all these people that don't know Jesus, they're nicer than the people that are in church. And you know what I mean? And, and then you start looking at all these these issues and you're saying, why is there still so much evil? Why is there still so much suffering? I mean, if we've really been baking in Christianity for 2000 years, there should be more to show. I mean, is this really how it's supposed to go? It's confusing. Now to make matters worse, I want you to zoom with me back in time. Let's go back 2000 years. You're now one of the 12 disciples. And this is what you're faced with. You met this guy who you know's not regular. You know he's a big deal. You've seen him raise people from the dead. You've watched him heal lepers, make the blind to see, the lame to walk, all that stuff. You believe him to be the Messiah, but he's not doing anything the way you want him to do it. Right? So first of all, the Jewish mindset of the time was that the world was going to get worse and worse and worse. And then one day, suddenly, a figure is going to show up called the Messiah. He's going to shut down all of his enemies. He's going to lead a military coup against the Roman Empire. Israel will jump back onto a world stage. And they will shut down all evil across the world and the kingdom will rise and take over the earth. That's the Jewish mindset. So do you understand how weird it was for Jesus to do it the way he's doing it? They know he's the Messiah, but man, this isn't going right. There's something seriously wrong with this guy. Because not only is he not doing it, how are we ever going to get any traction? I mean, we're only 12 guys. There's one rabbi and we're going head to head with the Jewish environment we've been baked in. Oh, like Judaism is really going to accept a Messiah they don't agree with. Oh, like we're really going to change our culture and they're going to suddenly go, yeah, Christianity is a great idea. They don't even like this guy. 
So we are facing the daunting task of going, how are we ever going to lift off the ground? We know it's right. We know it's good. But man, it's not going to work. And let's say, let's say we do actually change our immediate community. What in the world are we going to do with the Roman Empire? They run the world. And there's no way we're going to influence them. Do they have gods? Yeah, but they don't believe in our God. And, and there's all kinds of weirdness and they don't even like us. They think we're revolutionaries and, and that we're against their government. And oh, this isn't going to work. That's the 12 disciples perspective. So Jesus said, all right, kids, I see your perspective. Let me tell you how things are going to go. And I'm going to give you word pictures called parables. And the reason why I got to give those is, is in one way, it creates kind of a us and them thing. Because if you really want to know the truth, you got to sit with it. You got to consider it. You got to chew on it. You can't just blow past and, oh, I get it. Now I get more information. Now I can go live the way I want. This is really God truth. So if you really want it, it's deep. If you really don't, you're going to go, it's complicated. And you're going to walk away. So in one sense, it's going to do that. But understand, for my people, I'm trying to give you revelation. I'm trying to tell you how things are going. I don't want you in the dark. And if I give you a set of facts, you're going to learn this much. If I give you a story, you're going to learn this much. Because your mind's going to start going all over the place with a story. So he told them parables. The important thing for me, if you want to take a look at the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you, is this. You see, God knows what he's doing. It's his timing. It's his plan. And his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we look around the world and we say, man, is Christianity working in the world? Is Christianity working in me? Here's the fill in the blank in front of you. Don't judge what you can't know. Don't judge what you can't know you don't have all the information and i don't want you locking down the book on how god's actually doing and giving him a report card on the world i don't want you doing that about the world and i don't want you doing that about you and i don't want you doing that about me because god's not done with me yet I don't want you doing that with everybody around you because you don't know all the facts. We keep locking down these judgments and, well, that's good and that's bad. You don't even know all the pieces yet. How can you say that? Now, you can make decisions based on what you see, but understand there's always an element of error in that. You're doing your best. You're looking at the fruit. You're figuring things out, but you don't know that you know. You can't lock that down. Hmm. Let's dive into this. We'll, we'll begin with it. We're going to do four parables. We'll begin with the first one. It comes out of Matthew specifically and only. So we don't have a combo account until the last two. So the first two, we're just going to kind of still read through on the screen. So let's dive into this. He put another parable before them. Matthew thirteen twenty four. And last thing I'll say on that is remember, parables are not allegories. Allegories, everything means something, and you can kind of analyze it to death. A parable, there's one main point. Let's go with that. If you push it too far, it's going to break apart. All right? That's, that's, it's a different way of teaching. Okay? So we just look at the one main point. All right, here we go. And he begins it, and he says, The kingdom of heaven, as is being revealed by Jesus, may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, not lazy, they were sleeping because it was nighttime, an enemy came, sneaky, and sowed weeds among the wheat and then ran away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servant of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then why does it have weeds? And he said to him, what? An enemy has done this. All right, let's check on a couple things. First of all, is this a realistic story? I mean, is this just Jesus making up something? Uh, or could this really happen? Uh, almost every commenta commentary I read cited this fact. Rome had a law on its books for this exact situation. Why? Because it happened. 
And it happened because it's mean and nasty. It's an act of revenge. So let me tell you how messed up this really is. A lot of people in an agricultural society make their money from agriculture. Shocking. And in that, a lot of them grow wheat. Now, wheat's a pretty standard thing that you can make money off of. And so if you want to mess with someone, let's say they ticked you off, they did something. In today's world, you either do a tire slash or a cyber attack. You know what I'm saying? But back then... That didn't matter to them. So you wrecked their fields. You would go in at night and there was a certain weed called Darnell. And you would sow it all over the place while they're gone. And then it grows up along with a wheat. And you go, well, why is that so surprising? Because it's almost identical to wheat as it's growing. Which means the other guy doesn't know it until it's too late. It's super sneaky. So they grow up. Now, when they get more mature, they don't look anything alike. They blossom completely different. Then you know you've been had. But the whole time it's growing, it looks exactly like wheat. You can't pull the weeds because you don't know they're weeds, right? They're also slightly poisonous. They screwed up your entire harvest. So if you cut them all together and you just start selling it like that, that isn't going to fly. You got to sort the entire thing. Okay. Who did it? An enemy did that. That's not an accident. All right. Now let's look at the fact of our world. Are there bad things that happen in our world? Yeah. Yay. Are there bad guys? Yeah, there are. Who do you think is behind all that stuff? I mean, when you look out and you go, man, there's governmental problems and there's societal problems and there's this problem. That. Who do you think is behind all that? Do you think it's just an accident? Do you really think that it just happened to go like that? Or are you clear there is an enemy that's orchestrating and getting all this stuff going? So the guys were looking at the field and going, hold on, hold on. I don't understand, master. You sowed good seed. You didn't like throw out a little bit of weeds and a little bit of good stuff and a little bit of weeds and a little bit of good stuff. You threw out good stuff. Everything you threw out is legit. So why is it so messed up out there? Well, because I'm not the only one sowing seeds. That's why. There's another guy. He's doing the same thing. Ah, all right, let's get into that. This gets pretty deep. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go pull the weeds? He said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Because if you're gathering the weeds, you'll root up the weed along with them. Because here's the other tricky part. The way those weeds grow, they intertwine underneath the ground with the wheat. So you literally cannot pull the weed up, the weed, without pulling the wheat. Okay, that's just messed up, right? Okay, and you go, I, I don't really understand. Why is the world so hard to sort? Because it's not clean cut. You know how you keep looking for who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and you kind of go, ah, pff, I don't know. <laughs> Man, they're all like half monster, half hero. I mean, everybody's all messed up, right? I mean, you're looking around even in the church. I mean, I know we're talking about the world, but even in the church. I mean, you're looking and you're going, I don't even, I, I can't figure it out. Are there any pure? Are there any, are there any kind and good? Are there, you know, and, you, and you're looking around and everything's messy. It is messy. I said, hey, do you want us to pull the weeds? He said, no, no, no. If you pull the weeds, you're going to mess with the good stuff too. There's no way it's not going to have a ricochet effect. There's no way it's not going to have a ripple effect through the people. Let me give you an example. You know, a perfect picture of this, Judas Iscariot. Do you understand he's with them the whole time? Do you understand he was just as anointed? He did the same miracles. He talked the same way. He loved on the same people. How do we know that? Because even on the last day, no one knew who the bad guy was. Now, if, if there's only one dude that's not doing anything, everyone's kind of like, uh, lame guy over here, right? I mean, everybody knows. But nobody knew because he was among them. He was part of them, but he wasn't part of them. You know what I mean? Now, let's say all of a sudden Jesus just blows him up. He just incinerates him one day. They're walking along and he's like, enough, Judas, and he explodes. Little bits all over Peter, right? 
You think that's not going to mess with their head? And let's say God just does that. Because let's say he answers our prayer request. God, I don't like those people. They're mean. Oh, you're absolutely right. And they just start exploding everywhere. And that's not going to have some effect on the rest of us. Because those bad guys, they have families. You think that's not going to mess with their family? You think that's not going to mess with their kids? The whole idea is it's all intertwined. So if you start trying to pull out all the bad guys, it's all mixed. And who are the bad guys anyway? Ah, he's like, no, no, no. Here's what I need you to do. Verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest, till the end. I need you to be patient. I need you to wait. Then at harvest time, I'm going to tell the reapers, all right, you guys, now's the time. Cut everything down. Gather the weeds first. Put them in bundles to be burned. Gather the wheat into my barn. All right. There are probably 100 reasons why I'm not a farmer. Most of them involve manual labor. But one of them is patience. Uh, Our culture is not awesome with patience. Can we all agree with that? Uh, But the very nature of farming is patience. Because here's how it's supposed to go. Right now, I need you to think organically. All right. I need you to think how it was supposed to be is that you can till the soil. You can do a lot of work. You can get the sunlight. You can you can kind of do the watering thing. But really, the growth is up to God and you got to wait for his timing. And and it was this thing where you actually plant at one point and you do not get till months later. I know if you're not a farmer, that's totally weird. You know, you're going, what? Seriously, you got to wait for something? That's ridiculous. Okay. And you don't even know if it's going to be a good crop until it's too late. And then you got to start all over again. I mean, there's so much trust and reliance and kind of working with this and hoping and I, I don't know, quite know. I mean, we're working our tails off and it may, all of a sudden there's an early frost. Well, we just lost everything. That's a drag. Let's start over again. I mean, that's real farming, all right? And when Jesus talked about this stuff, I just need you to know Jesus is organic. All right? Jesus goes organic, all right? Right? And Jesus shops at Whole Foods. You understand what I'm saying? No, of course he doesn't. You know why he doesn't? Because he's not rich. That's why. Okay. All right. So here's the thing. Do you understand that when you go to the store and you go, man, I got a tomato. That's funny. It doesn't taste like a tomato. I don't even think it was ripe, but it was red. Do you all understand what's happening? Do you understand there's a spray? You spray the tomato and it's green. It'll turn red. It's not ready. It's just red. So you'll buy it. Do you understand how much stuff we have messed with genetically in our food? Do you get the idea that we're trying to rush a process? We're trying to make it bigger and better, even though it's not real. If you don't wait for it, if you don't allow it to go through the process, there's a cost. And here we are all wanting to grow in the Lord. Yeah. Are we, are we, are we hijacking the process? You want to be bigger, faster, better, stronger, right? You want to be able to do this kind of stuff and know this and be wise and be able to pray and be able to read the Bible and you want to do all that, but you all want to do it today. There's no process. You can shortchange the process. There's a cost. And we need to understand that some things take time and we need to know that God requires patience. And we're just not good with that. The other thing that I would uh, just want to cite because I've been asked this thousands of times in my ministry is why are there still, why is there still evil? Why is there still suffering? Well, there's suffering because there's evil. There's evil because there's sin. Now, why does God allow Satan to still exist? Is it because Satan's so strong you can't get him out? No, that's ridiculous. Why are there still demons? Well, they're part of the whole gig. Why, why doesn't Jesus get rid of them? Because he's still using them. The minute he's done using them, they're gone. But until that point, they serve a purpose. That's why they're here. Have you read Revelation? Y'all know how it finishes, right? He gets rid of the bad guys. The Bible says there's no sin. There's no bad guys in heaven. They're all gone. 
So we already know the end of the story. So why are they still here? Because the story is still being written and they're still necessary. They are a foil. They are the other option. They are still carrying out the will of God. Now, unwittingly so. They're just being rebels and they're still attacking and they're just being who they are. But Satan is still being utilized by God. Okay, let's move on. The disciples didn't quite understand all this, as you might not, as well. And he, they didn't even have that explanation. They just heard this story. So they had to ask him, verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. That's probably Peter's at Capernaum, where he stayed. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Okay, here's what's cool about that. They asked Jesus what the answer was. You know, what's, what's so interesting about that? Because we don't. Your life blows up, stuff goes wrong. You hear stuff that you don't understand. New ideas are inserted into your world. And all you do is complain, reject, and be angry about your life being hard. But we're not taking Jesus aside and going, Lord, I don't understand this at all. What's going on? How is this right? How is this good? I'm not getting what you're trying to tell me. Don't you understand that it's right and good to stop and reflect and to discuss and to talk it out and to keep asking God, I don't understand what you're doing, Lord. Can you help me out here a little bit? I mean, you're allowed to take Jesus aside. That's kind of what prayer is about. It's kind of why it's a two-way street of hearing his heart and you sharing yours. That's part of intimacy. But what we normally do is something bad happens and we go bitter. We don't ask him. We don't talk with him. We don't process it. We just hurt and move on. But you're not moving on. You're just sticking that stuff in your backpack and carrying it on the way. Why aren't we going aside and saying, Lord, help me to understand? You know why we're not? Because there's work involved. Because we tried that. We had that one time that we prayed about it. Lord, I don't get it. And then we didn't hear anything. And we went, well, I guess he's quiet on that one, so I'll just deal with it and we move on. That's not how it works. Do you understand that there is a process in prayer and sometimes, because we do not understand the process and we do not have the patience, that we give up. How do I know that? Because I did. I do. Y'all, we are, we are really being distorted by our culture of microwave. I was be pride praying about it. Yeah, dude, I prayed like three days. Oh, did you pray all three days? Did you? And nothing happened? Oh my gosh, it will never happen then. Okay, do you understand how ridiculous that is? But in our world, everything happens in three days. Everything happens quickly. So we assume that since God hasn't shown up in our timetable, that he's not going to. Do you know how many times I've been embarrassed by an answer to a prayer request that I gave up praying for? You know what I mean? Uh, well, I'll just share a personal story with you. I'm seven years old. My parents divorce, right? I'm all messed up. Seven years old, don't fully understand it, don't know what's going on. And I'm just trying to process it the best I can, but I, I'm really kind of messed up. Well, in my world, as a seven-year-old, I was like, oh, no, dad did something against God and I was in this whole mindset of now dad's going to hell. Okay. I mean, that was my mindset as a seven-year-old. Now it's not accurate. It's not right. It's not, uh, it's not healthy. It's just a seven-year-old perspective growing up in the, the eighties or seventies or whatever it was. <laughs> I don't even remember when it was. I guess technically it's the seventies. And I prayed that God would save my dad. And I prayed again, and then I prayed again. And I actually prayed for years. But little guys only can pray so long. You know what I mean? And then I gave up because I figured that maybe God had something going on, but obviously it wasn't tied to what I was doing. 
And I just gave up. You see, my dad didn't start walking with the Lord again until about 12 years ago. I'm 43 years old. I gave up because I didn't have any long view of what God was doing. The Lord restored my dad. The Lord got him back connected. The Lord got him back praying. Now he is now a spiritual input into my life. Now he is a role model for me once again. Now he's retied into where he's doing ministry. Now he is refreshed and becoming the man that God had always designed him to be. But do you know how long I waited? We don't have the long view. And so we give up. But does that mean that God didn't know what he was doing? Does that mean that my prayers didn't matter? Did that mean that God didn't care about my heart? Did that mean that God wasn't watching over my dad? Of course he was. But God's better at it than we are. It didn't go like I wanted it to go. Of course not. Why should it? I don't know what I'm doing. But God does. So he answered, he said, all right, you guys, so you're all confused on how everything's all chaotic and crazy and all right, well, let, let me explain this real quick to you. Verse 37 and Jesus answered, okay, let me explain the parable. The one who sows the good seed. Well, that's me. That's the son of man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. It's not primarily speaking about the church. Be very careful with what you're looking at here that you automatically think it's the church. It applies to the church because we're part of the world. But it's more about the world. Why does society look so messed up and confusing? Why isn't the church having more impact? Okay, well, part of that is our laziness, but part of that is how it goes. All right? And then it says, the good seed that God sowed out is the sons of the kingdom. Those are true believers, followers of Christ, Christians. Those are the good guys. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm not saying that they're not good. I'm saying they are good. I'm saying they're flawed, they're messed up, they're weird, they're all kind of whacked, but they're the good guys. The Holy Spirit is out there doing his work. That's the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. Those are the non-true followers of Jesus, the ones that are anti what God wants. Are they out there? Of course they are. Why? Because the enemy who sowed them is the devil. All right, so he's out there trying to distort and mess up God's stuff. He can't create on his own. He can't shut down what God's doing. So he tries to distort and confuse and slow the process. He's doing his best to distract and get everything moved over, right? We get that. The harvest is the end of the age, meaning when are we going to cut it all down and sort it? That's at the end of the world. That's when Jesus comes back. And the reapers are the angels. All right. So what are we going to do? He said, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man, Jesus, will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So what's their job? Their job is to come in, cut everything down, and get rid of all sin stuff. All right, so what is sin stuff? Sin stuff is anything that is counter to God. I know we kind of make it in our minds, there's certain lists that we think these sins are worse than these sins and all that. I understand we play that game. Here's what sin is. It's anything God doesn't like. Well, what would God not like? Stuff that's not like him. Yeah? I mean, God's pretty into himself right? He's like, I'm pretty awesome. He is awesome. There's no reason he shouldn't think he's awesome because he's glorious. So anything that is counter to him, that's got to go because he is the reason for the entire universe. He's the reason for the entire reality. Yeah. So I ask you this, is there any sin in heaven? There is not. How do we know that? Because in revelation it says, and he's going to get rid of all sorrow and all sin. So we know he's going to clean up and get rid of all the sin. What happens if that sin stuff is in people? What do you do with them? Well, we're getting rid of all the sin stuff. What if that sin stuff is you? That's your identity. That's you. What are you going to do with that? Well, it ain't getting into heaven. I'll tell you that. Uh-oh. So what do we do? You need a Jesus power washing. Okay. 
here's the gospel. Here's the reality of what, G, of what God said. I love the world so much that I brought my son with a power washer. That whoever would want to be cleaned up can be cleaned up for free so they might be who they were built to be and they might be with me. That is actually the gospel. The whole point is the power washing is like, come here, you got something on you. I like it on me. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's anti-me. No, that's me. No, it's not you. It's anti-me. It's not even you. I'm going to spray it off. Okay, turn around. Right? And he's spraying you off. And then he goes, good, check you out. That's exactly how I intended you. Let's go. Let's go. Right? And that's the cleanup process. That's what the cross was all about. It was a power washer. That, that's what atonement means, what forgiveness is all about, what grace is all about, is that he washes clean for free. It's not this cost. It's, the bottom line is that no sin stuff's getting into heaven. So if the sin stuff is you, you're not getting in. That's why Jesus wants you clean. Yeah, but I'm still doing bad stuff. You don't understand the power of his pressure washer. That's some deep cleaning. You know what I mean? It, I'm going off on side tangents. All right, hear it. We're stopping right there. <laughs> Praise God. Let's go to the next one. Matthew 13, 47. Matthew 13, 47. Again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. So the kind of a wide, indiscriminate kind of scoop motion. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the worthless. So what will be at the end of the age when Jesus comes back? The angels will come out from heaven and separate the evil people from the righteous people or the sin-stained ones from the non-sin-stained ones and throw the sin-stained ones into the fiery furnace. We call that hell. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That means sorrow and absolute regret, which is like, oh, shoot, I don't want to be here. That, that's kind of an eternity of... I don't want to be here. All right. So let me give you the, the background. In the ancient world with the Sea of Galilee, there was really two ways to fish. You either did an individual gig or you did a team sport. The individual gig is a hand net. And the way that it would work is you got to wade into the water as far as you can go while still having enough room to move around with your upper torso. You got a net attached to one arm and you have a hold of it in the other arm. It's weighted on the edges so you can throw it but it's tied to you so you don't throw it away. Does that make sense? So you have to sit there. And when you first wade into the water, all the fishies scatter. Yeah? So then you got to sit there and wait till all the fish are like, hey, I don't see anything weird about two legs standing in the water. Let's go hang out over there, right? So they all kind of gather back around. And when you got all the fishies around you, you then go, ha ha, and you throw out the net wider than they are. It weights down to the ground and you scoop them up. That's individual fishing. All right? There is also a process where it's a team sport. You get two boats, you take a bigger net, you weight it so it drags all the way to the ground. You then get both your boats going at the same time and it creates a big bell-shaped scoop and it scoops up everything between your two boats all the way into land. Now, you're going to grab a lot of stuff if you do that, right? When you get into shore, you got to separate them out, right? Good fish, bad fish, red fish, blue fish. You know what I know how it works? Yeah? All right, good. So when you're sorting fish, you keep the good stuff and you throw out the bad stuff. Now, here's the point I want to make about that. Sometimes we think they sorted them by going, well, this fish has one eye. That's bad. And they go, well, this fish looks diseased. That's bad. Or this fish has no tail. That's bad. That's not how you sorted them. How you sorted them was based on the Old Testament book of leviticus leviticus has a list of clean fish and unclean fish you understand what i'm talking about okay so any fish that don't have scales or fins are not allowed to be eaten they're unclean now here's here's the deeper point i'm trying to make they look awesome okay for example god is not anti-eel you understand where he's like, i hate eels no he created eels Right? But eels are not clean animals. They're not allowed to be eaten. Let's say you scooped up an eel. The eel's not diseased. The eel looks great. He is a healthy eel. 
However, he's getting thrown out. Why? Because he is not clean. What's my point? You look out in the world and let's play that game where you think that your neighbor is nicer than any Christians you know. I get they look great. I get they give more money to charities than anyone in the church does. I understand that they help people cross the road. I understand they have all their merit badges. What I'm telling you is they're not getting in. Because the clean, unclean thing does not have to do with value to the world, but value to God. So it is a clean, unclean issue, and they need to be power washed to make them in the clean category. So I don't care how good someone is, that's not the point. The point is connection to God. The point is being cleaned by Jesus. That's actually the point. The other thing that I want to point out is it says when the net is full, they then sort. When is it full? It means at some point, God's going to call it. At some point, we're going to wrap this world up. And that's when the sorting is going to happen. Where are you going to be when it, there's a timetable that is going to call? Now, for you, it may be death. For others, it may be that they're alive while Jesus returns. Either way, there's going to come an end point. Are you in the clean fish or the unclean fish? That's the whole point. He said, we got to sort that stuff. All right. We know they're being separated into judgment. We talked about that. All right. So then this part comes, 51. Jesus said, have you understood all these things? And rarely the disciples said to him, yes. Because normally they're like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. So they get it. And he's like, so do you understand it? They're like, yeah. What's the problem with that? If you understand it, you're accountable for it. Okay, here's where I'm about to bust y'all, okay? There are some of us in this room that have been in the Lord 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And you have amassed all sorts of information. Here's the problem. The Bible's not about information gathering. It's about life transformation. Does you, amen? Amen? The question is, does our life, if Jesus said, do you understand? You're like, oh, yep, got it. Really? Okay, how come I'm not seeing any of that transformation? Because I understand you know the material, but do you understand these aren't opinions? These are commands by a king, by God. So you don't get to go, yeah, no, no, I know, I know that stuff backwards and forwards. Oh, you know that stuff backwards and forwards. Uh, are you doing that stuff backwards and forwards? Because that's kind of what it was written for. It's actually not written just to know it. It's written to do it, right? We all understand that. So this is where the challenge comes for us. I better demonstrate that I've submitted to God and his word my entire life. I got over four decades in the Lord. It better demonstrate somehow in my doing and how I love people and how I care about people and how I understand people and how I have compassion. I better have the heart of God and the heart of Christ transforming inside me that demonstrates over four decades of being with Jesus. So he said, guys, do you understand? They're like, yeah. And he's like, all right, what do you, you know, now you got to do it. That's what it means. All right. So then he says kind of a weird cryptic, uh, kind of analogy he says this he said therefore because the kingdom is like this stuff every bible teacher he used the word scribe every scribe every bible teacher who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven and how jesus does it is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and fresh and what is old and former what was his point if you're walking with jesus then there's a big richness of what you're going to draw from. Some of it's going to be Old Testament. Some of it's going to be New Testament. Some of it's going to be modern. What does that mean? It means that his disciples weren't supposed to just forget the Old Testament. They were supposed to allow it to be rich and deep and glorious. Then they were to take all the new information Jesus was giving them, and they were supposed to incorporate that and allow it to come even more to life in vibrancy. Then they were to go into the book of Acts, start living it out and taking that material and adding it all together. That's us. Our job is not to forget what we know. Our job is to allow God to transform it. And we become more and more rich. That's all he's trying to say. All right. So we close out with two almost identical parables and they go like this this is where we mix matthew mark 
uh, and Luke together. It says, he put another parable before them and he said, what is the kingdom of God like? With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or, or in other words, what parable should we use for it to make my point? All right, I got one. The kingdom of heaven, the influence of Jesus Christ in the new covenant, is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and planted or sowed in his garden, his field, whatever it was on the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Okay, real quick. Can we show the picture of the pods? Let's show the picture of the pods. There they are. These are mustard seed pods. There's a woman's hand. Her hand is not, uh, it wouldn't be that, that big, but the, the pods, the seeds are inside those pods. So let me show you where the woman was holding up the seeds. That's a mustard seed. Can you see it? No, of course you can't. Why? Because it's little tiny specks that look like little fleas on her hand. That's a mustard seed. Uh, the middle one is probably the clearest, and some of you are Hawkeye, and you can see that. The rest of you are human, and you cannot. Um, that's a mustard seed. Y'all remember the whole idea if you have the faith of a mustard seed and all that? That's what Jesus was talking about. It's so tiny that you go, what in the world is that going to do? Well, that was the point. All right? So he says, the kingdom of God's like that, that becomes something else. It grew, and when it grows up, it is larger than all the garden plants. So it goes 6 to 12 feet high. That little baby seed, that little flea-looking seed, becomes the largest shrub. Puts out large branches, becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches and shade. What's the point of this parable? insignificant beginning incredible growth what's the point all right let me make it more modern i remember the first time it dawned on me and i would have never imagined this 20 years ago that burly big old macho construction workers would wait in line at starbucks for a latte no way are you kidding me? A bunch of guys that, you know, have chew in their mouths and they're spitting all the time and they're like, need my, my non-fed latte. You're like, what? How the heck did that happen? There's so many foo-foo drinks and they got their little stoppers in them and it's just ridiculous. How in the world did our culture shift like that? Right? All right, here's another one. This one's even more powerful. You ready? Our whole entire world exists because of a nerd in a garage. Do you know a world without computers? Do you know a world without Google and Microsoft? Do you know anything about where the whole, all the media that's going, there's no way our world has been designed by dudes and girls in their garage. Talk about an insignificant beginning. You got a guy who has no friends who now suddenly owns the world. It all starts somewhere. And I know these 12 guys with one rabbi are like, I don't get it. Do you realize by the time of Constantine that Christianity was the world religion? Are you kidding me? About a thousand years out, bam, all of a sudden it runs the world. How did that happen? Well, it was once like a mustard seed and then it grew so big that it could even support people. That's weird. I want to talk about you. I know you don't feel like you're a big deal. I know you don't feel like you're having any influence. Yeah, you are. And you have no idea who you're touching. You have no idea who you're blessing. You have no idea what impact it's having all over the world. When you get up to heaven and you see the network, the mathematic chaos that God is orchestrating, and you see what he did through you, you will glorify him for the rest of eternity. Why? Because it's God's stuff. God's stuff starts small, doesn't look like a big deal, and boy, does it go crazy. Okay, so he said, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them, the truths of the kingdom to the crowds. Well, at least as much as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Meaning they had to dig in and understand and learn because somebody's got to have the truth. Awesome. Praise the Lord. So it says, and again, he told them another parable, almost identical. 
To what shall I compare the kingdom of God, the way that God is doing things? The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, like yeast, that a woman took and hid or mixed into three measures of flour. Do you realize that's 50 to 60 pounds of flour? That's a lot of flour. That feeds 100 people until it was all leavened, fully permeated. What's the point of that? A little bit goes a long way, yeah? I mean, we get that. One thing was it grows big. The other one is it fully permeates. Okay, y'all know what friendship bread is? All right, so it's this idea that there was one batch and you pull out a portion of the bread. This is how they did it the old school way. Is that you would pull out a part of fermented bread and set it aside in an ancient Ziploc, right? You put that aside, you'd make your bread, mix, take a little piece of it, mix it in, make a whole new batch of bread. You'd eat that. The next day you'd take out that batch from before, mix that in, make a whole new order of bread, pull out a piece of that, set it aside, put that in the next one, mix it through. That's how it works. And he said, that little tiny bit keeps going and it's making more and more and more and more and it keeps permeating the entire thing. That's what Jesus is doing in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's not done with you. So as much as I bring challenge to you, I also want to bring the reassurement and the joy that he's not finished. I need you to know that he's in process. And sometimes it feels like you're going backward. Do you know why? Because you're going backward. (laughs) You assume that God wants you to go linear from point A to point B. Sometimes you don't realize point B is behind you. Sometimes you don't understand that it goes through a bunch of other A1, A2, A3, A4 till you get there. We don't understand the ways of God. You got to trust him. He's not done with you yet. And I know you keep going, man, I got the same problems, same addiction, same habit, same issues over and over. I'm not doing anything. I'm not growing. I'm not handling. Okay, hold on. Is it because that you're not engaging with God? Then yes, you should have some challenge. But if you're engaging with God and you just feel like a failure, that's the enemy. That is not God. Because that's not true. What is true is that he's permeating and he's working from the inside out. And he starts super small. And it looks insignificant. And it looks like there's not a lot of change. But all of a sudden, overnight, it begins to move. And if you watch it with a long-term view, y'all know what it's like to have little kids that want to be measured three times a day and they're not seeing enough change. Okay, I get it because that's not how it works. If you really took a bone out of someone's leg and realized there is a sliding, growing growth plate, it doesn't look like it, does it? You can stare at it and it just looks like a hard bone, but God's more mysterious than that. And he slides it out and creates the lengthening of the bone. That's incredible, but it's got to happen slow. If it doesn't, it hurts. The picture I always try to keep in my mind of how God works on me and through this church, because y'all, I stress over this church a lot. Uh, Is it what what God wants? Are we doing it right? Right? And he has to remind me that it's his church. And the picture that I always see in my mind are... When a waterfall shuts off and you see the soft looking rocks underneath a waterfall where it's all worn over time and they look all smooth. Have you ever tried to stick a rock under the faucet and watch it change? I dare you. You're just holding it. Keep looking at it and stick it under the water. Keep looking at it and stick it under the water. Okay. That's God timing. God makes rocks smooth with water he's not done with you it finishes out all these things these truths and teachings jesus said to the crowds in parables indeed he said nothing to them without a story because it was to fulfill what the prophet asaph said in psalm 78 2 i will open my mouth in parables and i will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world two things don't judge what you can't know Paul said, I, if you judge me, it doesn't matter to me. And I want to tell you why, because you don't know what you're talking about. I don't even judge myself before the appointed time. And I don't judge myself because I don't know what I'm talking about. If I say, yeah, man, you're awesome. What if God doesn't think I'm awesome? Does it matter? 
No, it doesn't. Do not judge something before the appointed time. Stop saying that God is terrible with changing culture. He's not done yet. Stop saying that God is terrible at bringing home the prodigal when he's not done yet. Stop saying that God's terrible at transformation when he's not done yet. These things are going on in a deeper way, in a more powerful way, in a way that is real and organic and matters. Because you can rush the process, but if you rush the process, you better be able to maintain the change. You know what I mean? You can build a building, a skyscraper, really fast. But if you do that, what's the danger of the foundational issues? What, you're not even going to let the cement settle? You're not going to let the, the soundings and all the roots be thrown in? You can make something impressive very quickly, but it's going to fall down when the earth shakes. That's not what you want. Please let God do what he's supposed to do in you. That requires number two, patience. Please take a long view. God, you're not done with me. The Bible says that we are his poema, his masterpiece. And until you're gone, you're not done. Therefore, he's still working on you. And he has so much more glory for you. So much more change. So much more transformation. Because here's the deal. He knows what he wants to get accomplished through you. And he knows how to get it done. I don't think you're late. I think Jesus is working. And I think you need to give him some space. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your patience with us. That, God, we are all kind of messed up. And we just pray, Lord, that you would take all that in your hands. And like clay, you'd begin to shape it into something you like. And, Lord, in the middle of the clay process, it looks messy. And, God, we are highly unimpressed with ourselves, as we should be. But, Lord, we are just jars of clay. What we are filled with is incredible. So, Lord, I praise you and I want to give you all the glory that everything extraordinary that comes out of our lives is due to you. Help us to submit to that process. Help us to be patient with your work. Help us to take a long view that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.